This document starts in the very beginning by, by stating, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God was assuming a responsibility inside of the story that when you hear the word God, that it was really uh, God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You had a trinity in action. And that God was the author of all things. And He alone is the source of creation. Now there's a lot of different scientific explanations of how we got here. And there's some details in which, like I said, the book of Genesis is not really about a science class. But for those of you that are struggling with what this book says versus what you may have heard in a classroom... Let me just give you, I'm a science guy, so let me just give you some tips to go figure out. One is you have to understand that any other theory other than the declaration of the authority of God's word is built upon the pre-existence of matter. That means that something had to be there before something else could be here. That means that for something to evolve, it had to have an origin. And the theories such as evolution cannot explain in very great detail where the pre-existence of matter come from. Where did it come from to blow up? You know, in this Big Bang theory, you know, that's another one of the theories that, that what was it that blew up? Where's the matter? Where did it come from? And for you to understand the detail, it's almost statistically impossible. You're talking about faith. If you don't believe in divine creation, if you don't believe in, in divine, you know, there being a, uh, this universe was done by creative design, that means that there was a God that had a design for it, then your faith is much stronger than I am because for you to believe that matter just blew up and this thing called the rock, called the earth, it, it, it existed in space. Space really doesn't have a lot of gravity. And so unless you unless something gets in motion in space, unless it comes in contact with the gravitational pull of a star or a planet, it just keeps going because there's nothing to stop it. That's why when you read, when you hear things about the news and the Hubble Space Telescope and how far away and how many light years, it, it, what they're telling you is in simple terms, if I get a something going at 10,000 miles an hour in space where there is no gravity, I can turn the key off and it still goes 10,000 miles an hour because there's nothing to stop it. And for you to believe and have faith that this great explosion happened and all of a sudden this rock called the earth it gets exactly the right distance away from our star called the sun and for it to sustain life and then turn 23 degrees on its axis, turn a thousand miles per hour around to create a 24 hour period of time and go 10,000 miles an hour in orbit around this thing called the sun and you to believe that that just happened by chance? You want to talk faith. Brother or sister, you have great faith. Because I've never seen anything in the state of chaos that all of a sudden ordered itself. Chaos remains chaos. But I'm here to tell you a different type of story. That God, in, in the language of the Bible, creates everything out of nothing. He and He alone is the authority which, which constitutes the days of creation. Day one, He created light and time. Day two, He created the skies and the atmosphere. And day three, dry ground, bodies of waters and plants. On day four, He created the sun, moon, stars and planet. On day five, the fish and the birds. On day six, land animals and humans. What creation shows is that God had an ultimate plan. 
He didn't just throw things together. And God takes chaos and brings order to it. I want you to touch your neighbor right now and look them right in the eye and tell them God takes chaos and brings order to it. This is one of the principles in which God starts his story of who he is based upon the authority of his creative powers. The Bible says in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He tells us that God's creative voice of authority caused movement. And that, and, and that movement was by Him and Him alone. And His voice carried the authority that made everything come into be. And that He was involved in every detail. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning of the first day. See, God's command for light, the radiance of his glory, immediately was expended, and it caused order to come to the chaos of darkness at the speed of 186,000 miles per second, and it's never stopped. That means that he took something that was blank in its canvas and that the authority of darkness had prevailed and yet he starts something that science actually uh, gives, gives credence to is that he declared before the sun, moon, and stars that he would bring order to darkness through the revelation of his glory into darkness and he declared, let there be light and there was light at 186,000 miles a second. Do you know that science can't measure how dark something is? Scientifically, darkness doesn't exist. It's the absence of light. So the thing that is measurable is not the darkness, but the light or the lack thereof. See, God's authority comes and brings something that is such in a chaotic state and brings immediate order to it. And God's command, it seems to have a pattern he needs, that we need to take note of. God takes chaos, void, and darkness. I'm going to make you say this to your neighbor too. He causes chaos, void, and darkness to be transformed into order, detail, and light. I'm going to say that again. Chaos, void, and darkness, order, detail, light. One more time just so we can get it down in our spirit. Chaos, void, and darkness, God transforms into order, detail, and light. What about this detail-oriented God? I brought some pictures. Let's look at a couple. God didn't just make ducks ducks. He didn't make every duck the same color. Look at the majesty of that duck. The divine order and the detail. God says, hey, I'm going to put a little splash of purple here. The bright, let's brighten this thing up with a little bit of yellow over here. Let's outline it in white. And let every feather fall into perfect order. See, God's not just a, a mass producing God that makes everything the same. And we should praise the Lord for that. But he has detail. Look at the next picture. And this is one of my favorites. Because God seemingly over this story, seemingly over Genesis, has this incredible sense of humor. Like an artist that has full control. Hey, I'm going to make a purple fish. Gets halfway done with it. Says, no, 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 I think I'm going to add some color. I'm just going to right in the middle of it, make it orange and yellow. I think those colors will go good together. 
See, I have the benefit sometimes of going offshore and fishing in pretty deep water. And there's amazing things that come up out of the deep water. And sometimes you'll catch a fish that's all red except for one dot on its tail and it could be blue. And I look at those things like that and the detail of which God uh, in his artistry defines who he is through creation. It looks like he put his thumbprint on it and said, ah, it it was too plain. I'm just going to add a little splash of color. Last but not least. Look at the unbelievable beauty of a tiger. How it commands the presence, not because it's just a big cat, but because God thought the detail needed to be there, that it could be orange and black and have spots of white and just the pure beauty of everything. That's the detail I'm talking about of a God of creation that took an earth that was dark and brought light to it and then didn't just stop at bringing light to the chaos of darkness, but it was also described as void and God started putting this type of detail in it. Incredible. He then goes from the the creation of the authority of his voice and he starts to set in process principles that we need to see through the process of creation. He sets in principle seed time and harvest. He creates plants and then causes fruit to come upon the trees and then inside of that fruit is seed and that seed is going to be fall to is going to fall to the ground through the fruit. The fruit is going to deteriorate. The seed's going to go into the ground and you know what's going to happen to an orange tree? Another orange tree is going to come up. That's incredible all in itself because now you have the beauty uh, and I'm going to get back to this orange tree in a little bit. But can you imagine the anxiety that people go through trying to be somebody else? And God said, hey, man, just be you. I've never asked an orange tree to be an apple tree. Can you imagine the pressure on an app on an orange tree? If the owner comes to it during harvest and says, hey, I see you got a bunch of oranges on you, but this is what we're going to do. I own you. You're on my land. And this is what I'm going to do. If next harvest you don't have apples on your limbs, I'm cutting you down. I mean, can you imagine the anxiety of the orange tree? Like, I'm trying. But every time I try, it just seems like an orange comes out. See, God set in order seed time and harvest that it's very easy for an orange tree to be an orange tree. And then all of a sudden he goes into the animal kingdom and he talks and and creates the animals through his voice of authority. And through those animals, he gives a right and an obligation. He said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. That means that God set in motion something that started with him being the origin, but it kept going because of the authority of his word. God doesn't have to go create lions anymore. Lions create lions. Tigers create tigers. Bunnies create bunnies <laughs> and lots of them. <laughs> and you have this God of, of creation and he gives the animals the right and the obligation to multiply and produce. And most theologians up until this point on day six, halfway through day six, they can attribute everything that God does through the voice of his authority. That means that God has spoken with authority and the authority of, of having the benefit of being God is that Everything takes note of the authority of what you just said. That means that God said it and it just come to be. And everything up until midpoint through the sixth day, he creates by his authority. And then he changes. And for the next time, for everything up until this point, he has either said, let there be, let there be, let there be, or based upon your translation, let the earth bring forth. Let the earth bring forth plants and 
The Bible says, and it brought forth plants. But now he speaks differently. For the first time, every the, most theologians will say that God did not just speak with authority. He spoke with authority, but he added something to it. Affection. He said, let us make man in our likeness and in our image. And in that moment, the voice of God goes from having just mere authority to now having authority and affection because God falls in love with us before we are ever even made. And now we have a God that is changing how he's creating things, everything else. He stood at a distance, but now God is coming close. And he grabs a handful of dust of, of the ground. And he starts to shape man by the very hand of an almighty God. And he shapes him in his likeness and in his image. And that produces us being the image bearer of God. Set with divine authority of being representative authority on the earth. He is going to tell us to subdue, have dominion over everything that He has created. He is telling us, I have authority over everything, but I'm now giving you authority as my representative on the earth. To reflect my glory, you take dominion over everything. God not only gets His hands dirty, which is a principle that you will see throughout, throughout Genesis, throughout the Bible, God's always getting His hands dirty. And it starts right here in chapter 1. He doesn't seem to ever want to wash his hands with us. Has God ever got his hands dirty with you? Sometimes I wish I had truth serum. Well, I could give everybody an inoculation of truth serum and you'd come and tell your real testimony and find out how dirty God's hands really got with you. Because I, I, every time I preach a point like this, you always have those people that look back at you like, not me. I've been perfect all of my life. I'm angelic. I was born with a halo. Nah, if the truth ever come out, you'd find out just how dirty God's hands got, even with you. Then, another characteristic of this creative moment, not meant for the scientific research, but meant for a story that is going to declare His love for all mankind, he gets close enough for the first kiss and actually breathes the breath of life into us. He didn't breathe into anything else. But he breathed into me and he breathed into you. He breathed into mankind. So his hands are dirty and he's up close. He's breathing into this clay shell of a man. And at that moment, that man becomes symbiont. He becomes cognitive. He becomes aware of who he is. And all of a sudden, when I'm becoming aware, if I'm Adam, I'm becoming aware of who I am. The one that I am looking into the eyes of is an almighty God that made me aware that I am not who I am because of who uh, that I, uh, based upon the benefits and the, the blessings in which I have possessed inside of me. But the one that had created me and knows that that is the source of all of my life. Me and me alone cannot provide the source of my life, contentment and happiness. But if I look to the eyes of the one that created me, he can. Amen? He's speaking out of love. And God creates us with a purpose in mind, getting his hands dirty and then getting close enough to give us the breath of life. And then the Lord God, verse 7 of, of chapter 2, Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And in chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it, over the fish of the seas, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God establishes a principle at this moment 
that gets misunderstood so many times. He has just created everything in six days. And I am so happy that God talks to himself through Moses to give me an, a clear understanding. When God talks to himself, sometimes it is not for his benefit. It's for yours. Like when God asks a question, do you think he doesn't have the answer? He's trying to make you aware of, a, of, a, of the answer. And God says this, it gets confusing sometimes, but if you remember the sovereignty of who he is and who, who's creating everything, at, ver, at day seven, he decides to do something different. And if you read it on the surface, you'll think God got tired. God can't get tired. Because if God could get fatigued, then fatigue would be God because fatigue would have authority over him when he got tired. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? What happens to you when you get tired? If you get tired long enough, stuff starts shutting down. Breakers start flipping. You either pass out or you go to sleep. God's not like you. He don't ever get tired. So when he says that he needed to rest, it wasn't because God got so exhausted in all the things that he was doing that he decided he got overwhelmed and he needed to take a break. He was giving an established principle of Sabbath or rest that God the creator could take man and make him so peaceful that he could have rest and fellowship with him. It wasn't just to set aside a day, say don't do nothing. No, I, and I'm here to clear some things up today, so here we go. For all of you that fast, praise God, we need people that fast and pray. But I'm going to give you a little hint. There's a difference between fasting and something else very common in the earth today. See, I am trying to get into shape. AJ's whipping me into shape. It's true. I haven't had a Coke in like 19, 20 days. Amen. It's falling off. I haven't had bread <laughs> in like that long. But I'm learning how to eat healthier and, 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 and get established. But let me tell you something. Fellowship with God was a determining factor in his creation because you'll find out later on in the story as we talk about the fall next week, you'll find out that mankind had fellowship with God every evening in the cool of the day where God wanted close proximity. If you're one of those people that fast and all you do is think that fasting is pushing away your plate, you are wrong. That's called dieting. But if you push your plate away in fellowship with God and you take the time that you normally would be sitting at a, at a dinner table with family and friends and you say, no, I got a couple of days here where God's put on my heart to, to fast. So I'm not going to go from not eating to watching TV. I'm going to not eat so I can be in a room somewhere in fellowship with God that establishes a relationship with him that he knows he is worth me pushing my plate back because alone, pushing your plate back is nothing more than dieting without fellowship with the creator. Everybody wants to tell me every meal they miss. Did you fellowship? That's the important part. And here God establishes fellowship with mankind. And he's telling them, I want you to rest and find peace in who I am. And the Bible says it this way, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them in the seventh day God finished his work and he had done and he rested on the seventh day and from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It wasn't because he was tired. Because it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. He was giving us on a principle of peace and rest that can only be found in him. 
And you ask yourself, why did God start this love letter with this? Here's where we get good. I got like five more minutes to preach. I wrote it like this. You may say, Pastor, why is the story of creation so important? Was it to disprove science? No, it wasn't intended for science class at all. Because the principle here are this. God takes chaos, void, and darkness and makes order, detail, and light out of everything. He made man by his authority and his affection. What does that even mean? Here we go. How many of you believe God's all-knowing? Omniscient. Say amen. If you know, think it. That means that God knew we were going to fail before he created us, right? And he created us anyway. That means he knew everything that you were going to do in advance. See, we blame it all on Adam. We think, well, he knew, every, he knew Adam and Eve were going to fall. He not only knew Adam and Eve were going to fall, but the law of sin and death was going to enter into the world and everybody from them was going to have a nature to fall short of the glory of God. So he not only took into consideration Adam's fall, but he added your, your shortcomings and your failures on top of it and still decided to create us. Listen to Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. It says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of His will. He is literally saying, I formed the plan of salvation knowing you would fail before I ever created anything, knowing that I would have a plan to save you, redeem you, and bring you back to the original concept that I would have have at creation and he mo was motivated according to Ephesians out of love then he backs it up in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 and says while we were yet sinners he loved us see some of you thought God started loving you when you prayed he loved you before you were created that talks about a God that is so unbelievable See, most of us think of Genesis chapter 1 as being science versus faith. It's nothing but a resume. God sent you his resume and gave you his references and said, check them out. Because you know what happens in your life and in my life more times than not? Our decisions produce chaos, void, and darkness. Over and over and over. Where I got in my biggest messes was not because the devil showed up with a red pitchfork and a pointed tail. It's because I started making decisions that were outside the will of God. And those decisions started producing sin in my life. And that sin produced what God's word says it does. Chaos, void, and darkness. I mean, goodness, after 16 years, if you haven't been here but a couple of Sundays, everybody else knows all my stories. I mean, my life got chaotic really, really quick. And darkness and void, you're talking about a void. If you had told me, I'm 50, so if you had told 18-year-old David, you're going to hug other men besides your dad and your brother, I'd have said, you've lost your mind. <laughs> I was so hard-hearted, I couldn't even tell people I loved them except my intermediate family. Even the girls that I would go out on dates with, I would tell them up front, man, if you need the teddy bear boyfriend that brings you flowers and teddy, I'm not that guy. 
thank God for transformation because Shell needed that guy and I became that guy. <laughs> but how many of you can say with me that your life was full of darkness, chaos, and void? And God sent you a resume in Genesis chapter 1. See, we've been trying to fight science all this time. No, he's saying, hey, I'm a God that from the very beginning took chaos, void, and darkness and made order, detail, and light out of it. And here's some of my references. On day one, I just stepped out on nothing and just let the canvas be black. And I declared, let there be light. And at 186,000 miles per second, my glory filled the, the universe with light. Oh, you didn't think that was good enough? I created planets, stars, galaxies, and spun them and declared in the Old Testament they sit in the palm of my hand. And oh, by the way, I took a hunk of dirt, made it in my likeness and in my image, so now you have the principle of being the image bearer of God throughout the earth, and now I've, I've tasked you with being representative authority on the earth, And by the way, I got close enough to breathe into you is the only reason you're different than a lion. Just some of my references, check them out. And you think the position you currently sit in, in the chaos, darkness, or the void, whatever that may mean to you, is capable of overcoming the authority of a God that speaks everything into existence. He is telling you from the very beginning of this book, this love letter, I am a God that can take nothing and create something out of it, but I made you somebody, and if I could do this with the voidness of the earth, what could I do with you? Well... Get ready with them slides one more time. Give me that duck one more time. Some of, I, I'm, I'm here to fight some mentality today because some of you just want to go, oh God, let me just pray and I'm just going to be a, a hunk of earth just waiting and trying to get to heaven. Do you realize God's got a plan for you like that duck where you can have color and detail and you can have a purpose and that you don't have to be anybody else? I've never heard one time an orange tree fill out a connection card and say, pray that God makes me an apple tree. But yet we have so many people struggling through life trying to be somebody else. Somebody they see on TV. Somebody that can play ball. Why don't you be who God created you to be? And the greatness and the authority that He established in you. I like playing ball as good as anybody. I enjoy watching the greats play. But he called you to be you. Amen. And here we have this God that is saying, if you have chaos, void, and darkness in your life, here's my resume. I can do something about that.